Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast. The only podcast where is if you take the green player or the red player, we will cut you. I'm your host, Mark Teske, the red player, along with my co-host, Jake Kloppenstein, the green player. Jake, how you doing tonight? I am doing wonderful. I am green. Life is good. That was super low-key compared to my high-energy intro, Jake. I know, Mark. I'm just a low-key guy. I'm relaxed, <laughs> laid back. Everyone's casual with me. It's good. Uh, I'm at about level 17 caffeine tonight, so giddy up. Nice. All right, so we got an action-packed episode for everybody today. We're going to talk about the games we played this week. Then we're going to talk about the games that we play online, specifically 18xx games. And then we're going to talk about a pretty long format conversation that Mark and I talk about a lot. We're not big fans of co-ops, so we're going to talk to you guys about it. Yeah, and I always come with a solution in hand. So rather than just ranting about why we don't like co-ops and co-ops we don't like, we're actually going to specifically talk about co-ops that we think do not suck. So, yes, we will still tell you about the ones that we think suck, but we will <laughs> conclude it. I promise you this podcast will have a higher suck factor than some of the other ones. We got to draw a line in the sand early about whether or not we do dislike some games. And by but the way, okay? let's clarify, I'm talking about sucky games, not talking about our podcast sucking, right? Yeah, we'll see. Look on me, look on me. What'd you play this <laughs> we'll make week, that Mark? Call after we're done. Hi. Yeah. Uh, you know what? So here's the weird thing. Um, those of you that listened to our last High Frontier podcast um, actually got that recorded after our last game night. So I've played shockingly little games since the last time we recorded. Uh, shockingly little like zero. But we're going to make that up tomorrow. Yes. But I know you played some stuff this weekend. Yeah, I did. I actually had my wonderful cousin Tyler over on Sunday while we were pretending to watch football. And we got to play Leaving Earth by Joseph Fatula that was published by the Luminaris Group. It was really cool. I'm super jealous. Awesome. That sound that thing looks so awesome. So the gist of this game is it's a lot like High Frontier in that you are space people. You're, you're voyaging into space, but this one more is a rockety ray gun kind of theme okay. versus High Frontier's kind of Elon Musky space billionaire theme. Sure. And in Leaving Earth, what you're doing is you're testing these different rockets and technologies. And there's kind of this way that you get technologies that feel sort of similar to Food Chain Magnet. I might be wrong in that, but hmm. um, you can get these different rocket types and you have to test them to make sure that they don't explode when you actually do taste off and then you try to head out to the moon to get a sample depending on what the mission is but i thought it was awesome i think you're oh, gonna really like cool. it yes yeah, and me up. that sounds great the publisher is really neat they they don't really produce a lot of other games that i've heard of but from my understanding they actually manufacture these games in-house and they're a small little group out of california and the art on it is beautiful we posted a picture on instagram and i think it's one of the prettiest games i've played in oh a long yeah time. yeah that thing looks super neat so no, I'm I'm in. You know, it's something I hadn't heard a lot about till you got, you know, I'd heard people mention it recently. Did it just very recently come out? It was published in 2015. So well, there you go. I don't know how we all missed it, but I've heard it in a couple of podcasts. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd try it and I did it in one of my big trades that we talked about last week. And I'm so happy we own it. It's really neat the way that you actually calculate how you're going to get things to places. Let's say you're going to go to the moon and back. You actually need to calculate out what you need you need to bring everything with you that you need to leave the moon and come back home. So the way you actually calculate out each thrust is really interesting and kind of formulaic. It's a little mathy for some, but I think it's right in your wheelhouse. I think you're going to really like it. Perfect. That was leaving Earth. Looks like you also got another space game in. Was it Space Weekend or something? No. Well, I've been trying to play more solo games and I kickstarted a game called Deep Space D6 a couple of years ago and it took a little bit to deliver, but I am happy to announce that I have it in hand and I've been playing the absolute crap out of this game. It's originally designed by 
Tony Go, and it's produced by Tau Leader Games, which I believe is just Tony. But yeah, in Deep Space D6, you are a captain of a ship. You're rolling these little dice that have six different symbols on the outside, and each one of those symbols determines what kind of worker you're going to do on your ship. And every ship has different actions. It comes with four ships in the thing, and you're pretty much culling through a deck of threat cards, and these represent different aliens attacking you and stuff. It was really cool. It looks just like a choose your own adventure book, so I don't think they're going to get published again, or at least the same looking box. But yeah, I showed it to you a couple of Wednesdays ago. Yeah, it looked really neat. Um, And I I was intrigued by the, you know, five minute demo I got of it and so forth. You know, that is something that I would like to borrow from you and try sometime, because there's a lot of times I do want to play a just a one player thing late at night. And I don't want to set up and play like 18 Lilliput by myself for three hours or something like that. So Fits great. And the only kind of one person small box solo game that I have is Super Hot, the card game. And that game is kind of not that great. So, yeah, no, I'd love to give you this one. It was it's really fun. I like the the, the mechanism of rolling the dice and there's some other things that are going on. We're not going to deep dive into it, but as a solo game and I've played a few solo games, this is one of my favorite ones I've played. And it's a small little box. There's four different ships in the box. It's a winner a winner for me so cool speaking of kickstarter and kickstarters arriving man it was super kickstarter week last week in the same week i had both uh Gugong show up which we talked about last episode mm-hmm. and on saturday co2 showed up and i am a giant Lucky. fan of everything vidal asserta does especially when he partners with the no tool and this is right up to par with everything else they've done so co2 is it's a game that has two different modes in it it has a competitive mode and a cooperative mode where you're really trying to produce energy and save the environment and so forth i'm not sure how much i'm gonna like a preachy game about saving the environment but i love everything vito lacerda does so i'm certainly gonna give it a whirl just on name appeal alone yeah i'm interested to try it looked really pretty from the pictures you sent me and and frankly it may not actually even be preachy so you know no emails right. please <laughs> yeah we don't know it just it it please might no be. emails who knows yeah Maybe, no send all the emails to mark Tell how ungreen he is. I live in an yeah, energy no, efficient I'm, apartment. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with green. I just, uh, you know, <laughs> as, as themes go. Yeah, it's, 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 it's creative to say the least. Yeah, you know, I give it props for that for sure. Right. Speaking of uncreative games, I got in a couple of weeks ago Crusaders that will be done. But I actually went out of my way to read the rules this week. And I think we'll be able to play it either this week or weekend. And I'm looking forward to it. So this one is by TMG Games, which is a publisher that I know Mark and I are pretty big fans of. Mm-hmm. It's designed by Seth Jaffe. I think he's the person who did all the uh, tiny epics. Is that right? Or is that Scott Alms? Couldn't tell you, Jake. Yeah. Uh, uh. Again, you got to put stuff like that in my show notes so I can appear smart. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't do that, Mark. We just talk out of our intent. <laughs> so anyhow, oh um, I thought I'd talk about this game, though, because it's probably one of the most overproduced games I've seen. So I backed it without really knowing much. One of my favorite games in yours too, Mark, is the Yokohama. And both of us missed the deluxe edition Kickstarter and kept 100%. on kicking ourselves yep. in the butt. And so I kind of made a vow for a while that I was going to keep on kickstarting TMG games if they're ever deluxified because I don't want to miss again. And this is the first one post Yokohama that's came in from that. And what's cool oh. about this game is it does come with the beautiful little screen put printed wooden components that we really like. 
but it also comes with a full set of really small plastic miniatures to represent all the buildings and knights and stuff. And it's completely redundant. I didn't <laughs> really read much, I guess, about what was actually happening in this game because overall the 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 updates and everything, they obviously talked about the miniatures. So I don't know how I missed it, but I guess I have like <laughs> one and a half versions of this game. So I'm going to just need to get the box and some like player mats. It's kind of super light too, isn't it? Yeah, box is 45 to 60 minutes. I read it last night and I normally try to make sure I really know games and I'll set them up and I'll move some things around just so I feel usually that I can get get the game played, especially out of a big box game. There'd be Mm -hmm. no need for me to do this to teach this game. I could teach it straight out (laughs) of the rules and there would be no lack of learning. But Jake, I've heard you straight out of the rules teaches before. <laughs> They're not good. They're very much not good. <laughs> I, was, I, I was probably. There's a few oink games that would like to have a word with you. Yeah. Actually, no. I've, Klondike Rush would like to have a word with you. Oh, my God. Klondike Rush was the worst pitch I've ever done. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, let's not bore the listeners that much. One last Kickstarter note that I want to talk about is uh, all the new Jordan Draper games dropped today. You want to talk about overproduced. Holy smokes. And I'm fascinated just because they're so bizarre. I'm really interested, like, you know, Tokyo laundromat with like little plastic dryers and fabric clothes in them, Skugiji Fish Market and uh, Tokyo Game Show. Ah, oh, man, I, he probably really has lost his marbles this time around, but it's so weird. I'm oddly fascinated to back it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope you do, because I like to try weirder things. I don't know. I got to think about that one. <laughs> we'll see. I don't just typically back things because they're weird, but this one's weird enough that I might jump on it anyway. All right. Well, why don't we talk about our 18xx games we've been playing? I'm in four right now. You're in five, and I think one just wrapped up, right? Yeah, back down to four right now. Yeah, okay. so let's talk about the one we just wrapped up. I agreed to play a game of Speed 18xx, and, you know, Speed in terms of, like, glaciers and mastodons. <laughs> um, a, a fast game of 1889 online ended up taking us eight days on the dot. Made a hard run at the finish line, ended up finishing second. It was a very strange game of 1889, and that the Diesels never made an appearance on that one. And, yeah, there was several companies dumped, like, really early on and transferred around, and... I know, super fun game, and I was surprised we were able to knock it out that quick. We really have to get 89 played in person. I, I still yeah. have yet to play 89 in person. I think I played it yeah, four times I. online. Yeah, we're also playing 1867. That's kind of wrapping up. Um, I still have a very strong lead in that one. Well, that, that is the 18xx game set in Canada with the 1861, which is the Russia rule set for the most part. There's a couple of differences, but so Jake, it's going true well. confession time. Yeah. I have audited you half a dozen times in this game because I think right. you're cheating. I know, and it, I, I haven't. You are so far in the lead. I'm <laughs> like, there's no way. He has forgotten to take out his money. He has added extra shares. He has. God, he hasn't. Nope. He? I'm just the best, Mark. I understand Canadian railways in a way that you'd never imagine, Mark. Man, I'm apparently move up there. so. So, yeah, we are actually on the last set of operating rounds on that one. So that will wrap up quick. There is uh, all the king's horses and all the king's men are not going to catch Jake. I'm currently in second place. Once again, I was the bridesmaid. Never the never bride. Never the bride. Never the bride, Mark. It's a tough life you lead. We're also playing a game of 18 Ireland and it's now starting to get to the juicy phase. I just started. Yeah, yeah. the elbows are coming out. Yeah. 18 Ireland's really neat. It has an interesting merger mechanism that is a little cutthroat and apparently bankruptcy lurks around the corner. Our first game did not end with bankruptcy and I don't think this one will either, but we'll have to see. Maybe I just have to knock on wood. I just jinxed myself. We'll see. Yeah. Part of the game is that you really don't want to get caught. There are five share and 10 share companies. And the five share companies super do not have enough money to survive later on in the game. And you want to merge those together at your earliest opportunity. And I made a point of starting a company just so I could merge it with my other company and get a 10 share company out of it. 
and that I could get away from having these little companies before the curtain came down on them. And I managed to do that. So I was super happy about that. Speaking of curtains, the iron-ish curtain. I don't know if China technically is kind of the iron-ish curtain. We're playing 1880, which is uh, set in China. It's got a lot of interesting mechanisms going on. This is my first play. Mine too, and it's a weird one. A couple of our really good friends played at Gen Con this past year, and we were very envious that we did get a play. And so we decided to play it online, and it's going really well. Yep, uh, Jake, I would agree. It's going very well. It is going exceedingly well for Marquee is snowballing very, very, very fast. We'll see if anybody can catch up. Regrettably, though, the file got corrupted or something, and now a bunch of tiles aren't placing correctly online. So we're on pause on that one for a while. I got an update, literally no joke, five seconds ago that popped up from the developer of the box saying problem solved. So cool. We're fixed. Awesome. Game on. The last one we're doing right now is, uh, speaking of weird ones, the last one we're doing right now is one that we're playing as a playtest, I would call it, with the direct the uh, designer of it actually watching over our shoulders as we play, which is going to really out how lousy of players we actually are. But, yeah, you know, we're whatever. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not too proud. It, this is 1828, that a game designed by J.C. Lawrence, uh, Clear Claw or J.C.L. as he's very commonly known around the Internet. And we agreed to be in a test game of that one and, you know, an extra week or so of learning rules. And we're finally just kicked that one off yesterday. So, yeah, I'm know. really interested to try More it. The, the map future. looks very similar to 1830, which is the but kind busier. of... Uh, yeah, way busier. yeah, way, way busier. Totally. There's a bunch more going on. And there's actually a mechanism to merge fully fledged publicly traded companies. So and then you call them systems, which is interesting. I'm I'm excited to try it. The other crazy one is it's got a kind of an offbeat private auction at the beginning, too, that private auctions are a little dicey on a new title that you've never played before, because you really don't know what companies are good, which ones are right. not. So that's wacky. And then you throw a wacky system on top of it. And pretty much you throw a dartboard at it and hope you don't it's something else (laughs) i'll be candid i almost did roll a die to figure out what private i'm gonna bid on yeah that's more or less Um, i I decided on the one up by canada i don't know we'll see i picked one in the middle and just went with it yeah this one's i kind of understand now whenever i explain to someone a new 18xx game i say oh it's just a waterfall auction and to me and you that's that that's a commonly used terminology yeah and now i absolutely feel like them about this waterfall plus auction it's 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 a little weird For those who don't know, waterfall auction is where you can either bid on the first thing in the row. There's a row of the different things you're bidding on. If you bid on the first thing, you just buy it. Or you can bid on anything down line, but you have to pay $5 more than face value. Or $5 more than the other bid that's there. Yeah, correct. And then let's say that Mark and I both bid on the second thing, and I'm the one who's currently in lead with $5 more. And then someone buys the cheap one for face price. That means then we go down the line and execute each auction as it happens. And so because Mark and and I are both on the second private, we now have a bid off. If there's any without any other bids on it, it's just one person on there, then they just get sold for whatever the bid is on there. Yeah, it's almost like dibsing a spot to bid on it later when the ripcord is what everyone calls it. It's pulled. Thus the waterfall. Absolutely. Cool. So the main thing we want to talk about tonight is that uh, there's a large chunk of games out there that are very popular among our friends or relatives, other gamers. And I think we referenced this in episode zero about what maybe what our least favorite type of game was. And we both kind of made a joking nod to the fact that we're not really big fans of co-ops. And we decided to deep dive into that a little bit and not just be the guy that say, yeah, we hate co-ops, but to talk about some of the reasons we don't like co-ops and to offer alternatives, because this episode is actually not called why co-ops are terrible. It's actually called co-ops that don't suck. 
So we have gone through and thought deep about this one and picked a bunch of co-ops that we can recommend because they don't suffer from some of the problems that cause us to not like some of the other co-ops. Does this mean that every co-op game that we don't list here is a sucky game? Oh, no, we're going to we're going to start some fires, Mark. We're going to be we're going to be burned alive. I guess I would call them a sucky game if they are related in some fashion to other games that we call awful. There you go. Derivatives. So Derivatives. the definition of and a that's co-op a big problem, game, as it turns right. out. So just for those at home who don't know, most games that you play are competitive. That's where you all play to try to win, right? Yep. Think of Settlers of Catan. Think of all those. Think of most games. There's a goal. There's some points. Whoever has the most of whatever at the end is the winner. Right. Or whoever conquers everybody is the winner, whatever. There's a winner. In co-op games, everyone amongst the table works as a team to try to usually beat the game in one way or another. We are not going to discuss hidden trader games. That's where everyone's working together, but maybe one person's a spy and is trying to actually sabotage the, the good things we're going. We're, we're not talking about that in, in great detail. We haven't played that many of those games. And we're also not including one versus many games. These are games like Imperial Assault, um, which is Spectre the Star Ops. Wars Spectre Ops. Yeah, where there's one character who's playing as the villain, almost, you could say. And yeah. then the rest of the team is working together to try to take down the villain. Right. These are pure co-ops where you as a team are all working together and you as a team team win or lose and you are playing the game you're playing yes. against the game so why don't we use one of the the best selling games to explain yeah. this right so probably the best selling game in the co-op genre by a million miles is a game called pandemic uh, i'm assuming that everybody in this that's listening to my voice right now has heard of pandemic it's been the granddaddy of all of these things it has spawned a zillion other games by itself, it has a whole mess of derivatives that come off it, both named Pandemic and many that are not named Pandemic, even though they're a common game. That is one that most people are probably going to know off the tip of your head. So as right. you look at this, you can go, oh, Pandemic. Yeah, OK, I know what they're talking about. So some of the characteristics that are common for cooperative games like Pandemic are they involve teamwork. Everybody's working together. Oftentimes, everybody has a role that they deal with where maybe I have a slight power that's different than yours and you have right. a slight power that's different than mine. And therefore, we work as a team. You know, think football team where you have a quarterback right. and you have a center and you have linemen and so forth like that. Everybody has and, a role. Yeah. And my selection of the term quarterback was not by accident. Jake, can you tell everybody why? So this is the main hang up that comes with co-ops. And this is my main complaint with the whole genre. A lot of these games have perfect information, and a lot of the times I haven't read the Pandemic rulebook in a long time, but you should have a hand of cards. And a lot of the times I've played Pandemic, I've been told that it's better to play with your hand open. And so the perfect there's perfect knowledge amongst the table about what you can and what everybody's available to do. So then it comes to like a forum of bureaucracy where everyone decides what you're going to do on your turn. And there's actually a terminology that or a term that's came from this that's called quarterbacking. And what that is, is where one player takes complete control over the table and tells kind of everyone to do. And I know it doesn't no, seem no, like no, it. No, 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 Jake, Jake, you should really tell people about what quarter. No, oh, Jake, oh, this yeah, is the no, better no. move right now. Yeah, no, Jake, this is way better. And this is no, the main no, issue. Jake, why, why aren't you doing that? You should really do that over there. I, Jake, I think you should do that. This drives me up the wall on both aspects. For one, I'm pretty talky and chatty and I have opinions and they're probably wrong, but I don't think they're wrong. I think they're right because I have them. 
And so I'll tell people what to do. So then I feel like a complete meanie telling people what to do. And OJ language. I, I drive it up my, I get driven up the wall whenever someone tells me what to do. I've actually had experiences as Dungeons and Dragons where my uncle, bless him, we were playing with somebody and someone was trying to tactically suss out the situation in a D&D encounter. And he said, no, you don't tell me how to play my turn. And then just started doing that. So it just, it feels very bad to have someone completely talk over you and tell you what is the best solution because at that point why don't why doesn't the the best player at the game just play it themselves what am i offering when i'm in a game like that where somebody's quarterbacking hard literally i check out i you know i'm on my i'm on my phone and i'm sitting back going okay you 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 obviously are more bought into this than i am so you just play i'm fine i'm good and, and that actually will be a theme that i'll keep on saying down the line but a lot of these games that are solo can just be played to played alone you don't need a full table of people to do this and if you just want to move pieces of around the around the table and play a game just do it play it alone there's nothing wrong with that yeah i will say the good thing about the teamwork aspect of a co-op is a lot of people are pretty conflict slash competitive adverse and they really don't like that feeling and i am totally understanding of that that's not really how mark and i are we talk about how much we win in games but i'd say both of us are very honorable losers we're probably less uh less sportsman like when we actually win but i have some (laughs) people in the in the in the game i lose a lot so yeah i just have to toot my horn when i actually do win yeah and uh we, we both use board game stats so we actually can pull some data from it but um, I have some friends in the game group that are very conflict adverse and have added little house rules on games to make them a little more less take that e. No skin off that back. I completely understand that. That's not how Mark and I are, but these co-op games can really help those people. And the humorous part is I've heard that that happens sometimes in games which really aren't meant to be co-ops. Right. Yeah. So I played a game of role player um, with some friends and there was actually a suggestion that there's a market phase where you can buy something in the game role player, which is where you're making D&D characters functionally and making their attributes. But you can buy different bits of gear. And one of the things you can do in that game is throw gear away, any gear you want from the market and you get $2. And so there was a suggestion that you don't do that to block other people, which I guess makes sense. It is a little bit of take thatiness in a pretty Euro non-interacting game. Hate drafting is a part of that game. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's one of the few ways you actually interact besides drafting. So I understand that people are conflict adverse. That's not how we are. So take everything we say with a grain of salt. (laughs) Another hallmark of these games is that there tends to be randomly generated issues that come along. A lot of times they're seated in such a fashion that there is a ramp of threats that come along where what you're trying to do is you're trying to, as a team, eliminate those threats before they snowball to a point at which your party cannot deal with them. That can be done by culling a deck. It can be done by physically eliminating the threats or reaching some threshold with your players that allows that threat to be controlled. And a lot of times, once they do reach that snowball, it can become to the point where it's very difficult to win. One of the games that suffers worse from that I'm going to talk about later on is Harry Potter's Hogwarts Battle. That's one that if you get behind the eight ball in early rounds, you really should just pack it up because there's no chance you're going to win. Right. And all you're trying to do is kind of cut through this slog of cards or threats or hold out for a certain amount of time before the game arbitrarily decides you win. Our language in this is already kind of saying how we don't like co-ops. I'm sliding in arbitrarily. And that is true. Most of the time it is sort of the, you know, you have to get to the bottom of a deck or you have to, you know, reach a certain score or something like that or get to an exit or something like that. I guess the get to an exit is probably more thematic than most. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I get that. 
One of the ways that they try to make these games feel a little or the players feel a little more special is they give variable player powers and they make them very asymmetrical. So in the case of Pandemic, there's different roles that you can have. You can be the medic, you can be the researcher, you can be the person who moves other people. <laughs> I can't remember what their name is. Yeah, the pilot or something like that. Right, something along those lines. And those make it so that when it is quarter, when it is your turn, you do feel a little special because you are the medic. You're good at fixing people, for example, in Pandemic. Usually all these really do is provide you a little bit of efficiencies in the game so that you're kind of the person that deals with that aspect of things. But again, it goes to the same issue with quarterbacking. It doesn't matter if you have this special power of Bill's just telling you what to do all the time. Oh, you should plainly go to Mombasa, Jake. And oh, you got you it. You should heal Why would you do that? That's not efficient. <laughs> okay, so that's some broad strokes on co-ops. We probably haven't told anything that most of you don't already right. know. But what you probably don't already know are what are some of the games that we specifically don't care for for some of these reasons. Right. And I'm going to start out this whole thing with a little bit of story, story time with Uncle Mark. When my children were younger, eh, five or six, seven, eight, somewhere right in there, we picked up the Forbidden series of games, Forbidden Desert and Forbidden Island, that were all by pandemic designer Matt Leacock. And we played those a lot and we had a lot of fun playing them. And then we bought a game called Flashpoint Fire Rescue and we played it. And geez, that seems an awful lot like Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Huh. Then I played Pandemic and I went, oh, got it. All of these games are really exactly the same game as Pandemic. Then Pandemic Legacy shot to number one on Board Game Geek and everybody said how great it was. And I picked up a copy of it thinking this must be the greatest thing ever. And I went, oh, yeah, this is playing that game I'm already kind of sick of 12 to 24 times. And by the way, guess who's still in March? You are. <laughs> so I disagree with you, Mark, on some things. I do not disagree with you with the fact that Forbidden Stars, Flashpoint, and Pandemic are kind of all the same game and they're doing the same uh, thing. Forbidden of, Island and Forbidden Desert. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Whatever forbidden style place that you can't go that you're somehow at. There's all these things popping up and you have to deal with them and certain people are better at forbidden dealing them with other things. Yeah, that's what it really should be. And uh, <laughs> however, by saying that, Pandemic Legacy is one of my favorite gaming experiences. My cousin Tyler and I bought it a couple of Christmases ago. We went 50-50 on it. And I think we bought it right before Thanksgiving, actually. So we were having a whole bunch of family events. And we just had this rule where we're going to play and we, too, are going to be the people that are always in it. And anybody else that wants to join can hop in, hop out. And to this day, it's been one of the coolest experiences I've had. And it was just pandemic over and over and over again. You're not wrong. Yeah. What's funny is I bought a copy of Pandemic after completing Pandemic Legacy because I'm like, holy crap, Pandemic's great. I traded my copy of Pandemic away because I didn't want it anymore. Or I sold it to a friend. I have I a cop Yeah, I have a copy of Pandemic that I'm willing to trade for very little. So contact right. me if you want one. Yeah, easy. Now I will say I, I'll be I'll be very honest about this. These are great games. They are well designed games. It is an interesting system. My dislike for it is that there are so many derivative games of it that by the time I actually played Pandemic, I was already kind of over the system because they were so similar and they were designed by the same guy in most cases. So I kind of shy away from co-op games that follow the pandemic formula. Right. One of my most disliked co-op games that kind of follows the same thing is a game called Dead Men Tell No Tales. This is by Kane Klinko. 
it felt incredibly derivative of Pandemic. I apologize if you're a big fan of this game. It just was the same thing. You were you were pirates stealing and the boat was on fire and you all discussed everything to make sure you got the most aspects out of it. But what really drove me crazy about this game is at the start of your turn, you expand the boat in one way. You place a tile. That's just what you do at the start of your turn, whoever's turn it is. And we would spend five minutes delegating and discussing how the most efficient way to play the tile was. We were doing really well in the game. We had like all the gold and stuff and we were doing really good. And it was just such a tedious thing to say, okay, I'm going to draw this. I'm going to place it there. Well, do we want to play it there? There might be a better aspect to play it on this east side of the boat. It'd be a little better over there. And it's so marginal. We're never going to go over there anyways. We don't need this tile. Yeah. Which just completely bogged down the gameplay, which would be a normal fast game, which I'll be candid. That's probably just the issue with who we're playing with. If we were to play just a little faster and just say more laissez-faire with it, it'd be great. I have not ever seen this game in person. So based on what you've told me on it, I'm probably good. (laughs) <laughs> the other one that uh, is one that kind of fell off the radar for us was uh, a game called Legendary Encounters Alien. This is designed by Ben Chikoski and Daniel Mandel. I love playing games. I'll be happy playing any game on our Wednesday night for the most part. This is one of the only gaming experiences where I wanted it to be over. And we've played everything. Uh, we're, we're Me and you are totally omni gamers and we'll play whatever comes to the table. But for sure. Yeah. I was texting my cousin Tyler was there with me. Tyler, you're getting so many shout outs this episode and just kept on being like, do you want to go get Taco Bell? Can we die? <laughs> everyone was telling me what to do. I didn't understand how the rules worked. I had no investment into it because everyone assumed that I'd like it because of Alien. I had never seen Alien and it was really hard, but it didn't seem like we could do anything that made it less hard. And that is Mm. kind of another complaint I have with these co-op games. They seem to get a lot harder depending on the player count, because usually you do a bad thing at the end of your turn. So if there's seven people around the table, it's going to be seven Seven times, seven bad things before it gets back to you versus (laughs) where maybe you need your special power. All the special powers aren't even. It'd be better if there was less people because then there's more ability to get over to things to actually deal with the hard things that are happening. Right. Yeah. But Legendary Encounters Aliens was meh. Meh. Yeah. I have not played this one. I briefly owned Legendary Encounters Firefly. Played it through once and traded it to a friend that was really excited about owning it. So Easy. I decided maybe I let it go. Yeah. So I have not played this one. So I have no opinion on that one, nor do I have an opinion on the next one. I do. Time Stories. Um, this was released a few years ago and it took the world by storm. It's down. It was designed by Peggy Chassonet and Manuel Rosoy. I'm very bad at pronouncing names. What you're doing in this game is you're traveling back in time to solve all these puzzles and accomplish all this stuff. It was pretty tedious and you can't really lose the game. You just. So let's say we're going back in time to kill somebody or something. That's a weird, very violent example. Let's say we're going back in time to kill somebody who do something bad. And we don't do it the first time we come back. We run out of time. We come back to the modern time. We read a little card that says our boss is mad at us. And then we go back in. We just do the exact same thing over and over again. The puzzles, at least from the ones I played, and I haven't played that many of them, and maybe they've gotten way better. They weren't that interesting. The art style was a huge hodgepodge between the different modules that you could use. It was a really cool system. The idea of it was you'd buy a console and you could put in these different modules that'd be expansions to it, which are different scenarios. But it kind of was functionally obsolete compared to exit games, in my honest opinion. The exit games gave better puzzle solving, more interesting storytelling, and heck, they're $12. 
if you play like yeah. full MSRP for an exit game. So, well, and how much is a module for time stories? Isn't it like twenty five dollars sure, sure or more than that? But you do own the game after and you can just give it to your friend who then will. Run yeah, it. fair enough. Yeah. You know, that one got spoiled for me before I ever got a chance to play it in that um, I had both you and JJ, another gaming friend whose opinion I, I value highly, gave it a real hard meh. And I went, OK, moving on. Yeah. And so maybe it'd be something if we were to actually lose and you'd actually have to really consider each option before you actually did it. And you have to really think about it logically and try to do something in the right order to make sure that you wouldn't lose. Then it maybe be an okay game. But ultimately, as it stood, Time Stories is pretty meh for me. You bring up an amazing point right there, Jake. And I think as we transition over into talking about the games we do like, and trust me, most of this episode is actually going to be positive, despite the fact that we've (laughs) sort of spent the last 15 minutes unloading. Now that we have that off our shoulders, we can actually talk about the games we do like and we do think are actually fun. And we'll compare and contrast those with why they are different than the games we don't like and why we do like them. And the point you brought up that perhaps time stories would be better if you lost once in a while. That to me is sort of the number one thing that has to happen in a co-op game for it to be interesting to me. I need to lose way more often than I win. Not just a I lose once in a while. No. If if I win more than one out of four times, then that's not a good game in my book. It's just it, it's easy. You know, it's an activity then. See, I don't know if I agree with that. I understand your sentiment towards that. And I do want it to feel like a challenge and you're actually accomplishing something. But I'd rather have it be something along the lines of like the grizzled. Well, we'll talk about these games in a little bit, but I love the exit games. They're, I think, my favorite co-op game series. And you're gonna solve the puzzles. You're not gonna not solve sure. the puzzles, well, right? Okay. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna exit the room. Yeah, that that was, that's a little bit different of a thing. I mean, and I will say, a lot of these games, if they just get artificially hard, you kind of just feel like you just got dealt a pretty bad hand and you couldn't deal with it. Sure. Like, for example, we've played XCOM with the really hard difficulty before, and it's like, how the hell are you even supposed to stay on top of this? That is one of the aspects of what we like. And as we get through and talk about some of the games we do like, we'll be sure and call out what we do like about them and why we think they're different than the stuff we don't like. So you just mentioned the first one on our list, Jake, The Exit Games by Inca and Marcus Brand. So these are one of my favorite things in games. I just gave three copies of them to a dear friend of mine for Christmas. Um, And he brought it home and played it with his mom. And she loved it so much. She was buying some and had them in her cart before I think she finished the first one. So these are one to two hour puzzle games that are attempting to recreate an exit room. Exit rooms are those games where you're locked in somewhere and you have to solve a whole bunch of puzzles and riddles and you pull levers and stuff to try to get out of the room. And what these exit games are is they're $12 disposable games, which is a little shenanigans. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you are solving these different puzzles to try to figure out different key codes to put into this weird dial. And it seems like it wouldn't be very replicant of these the, the hard puzzle solving and the riddle solving that you'd get from an exit game or an exit room, pardon me. But I find these just do an excellent job of doing that. And they're so much more affordable than an actual exit room. Yeah, I actually like the exit games quite a bit. I've only played two of them, though. You played nine out of ten. The two that I've tried, the first one that we played was one of the laboratory ones, and that was fantastic. We had a super fun time with it. Uh, The next one we played was just this like Christmas morning and it fell a little flat. It was the Polar Laboratory one. Yeah. And I'm willing to admit that perhaps I was overtired and (laughs) I'm not sleeping much the night before and uh, kids and Christmas, that whole thing, and maybe not super focused on it. And it fell a little flat. There was some puzzles that even after knowing how they were solved, we still didn't see how exactly they got to that. And so it didn't 
feel like we were really in control of the situation. Yeah, there's a couple like that. So in all the ones I've played, I I've actually I think I've played the winter one that we we've, we've discussed this, but I think I know which puzzle you're talking about. There's I think around 10 puzzles per each game. And occasionally you're going to run into one that you just like don't understand and someone who you're playing it with doesn't click right in their brain and they can't quite figure it out. And I've also had the other downside with this game is some of the puzzles are tied to setting up something in some way. I'm trying to be intentionally vague so I don't ruin anything, but you're limited by the components of a $12 game sometime, and it can be kind of confusing and a little frustrating. I just love how they're really collaborative, and if you play as a team, we all look at something. We're going to take three different things away from looking at that puzzle. What Mark mm-hmm. and I see when we look at that puzzle may not be the same exact thing. And every time I play it, it seems like everyone gets an opportunity to shine. And so I'm sitting at the table with me and my fiance. It's usually I play these games with. And she'll completely see something in a puzzle that I would have never seen. And she feels great because she solved it. I'm super proud of her because she solved it. And then it's vice versa. Whenever I see something, she's like, oh, God, how did I not see that? It just feels really good. It feels really collaborative. And it feels like you actually work together besides having Bill tell me to move this here. I don't actually think we have any bills in the game group, so I hope I chose a good third-party name. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're okay on that one. (laughs) Good. The next one we've already referenced as well, and this is probably my favorite co-op game. And it really couldn't be more difficult than a game like Pandemic. It's The Grizzled by Fabian Rifaud and Juan Rodriguez. It is a game that is about trench life in World War I. Right. And you as a group of cohorts all in it, all down in the trenches are having to go out on missions and you're scared. You're just trying to survive. Yeah, you're not you're, you're not trying to be war heroes. You're just trying to live. You're trying to live to the end of the war. And, you know, the bombs are falling and the weather sucks and it's night and you're having to run into hail of gunfire and so forth. What's interesting about this game, it's a card game that you have to play a bunch of tricks and you have to get rid of your cards by playing out these tricks. The challenge is, is that you cannot share information with each other. There is no table talk allowed about what card to play or what's in your hand. Furthermore, there are certain cards in there that make you take actions that you don't want to. Like it makes you play two cards at once or makes you not be able to talk at all in any way. Yeah, in any way. Uh, So it gets progressively worse and it's a pretty dark theme. Uh, My children aren't real big fans of it because it is such a dark theme and is so unhappy. And it's a game that you win. Sure. One out of 10 times, maybe. Right. It's a very difficult game to win, but I love this game. It's impossible to quarterback. When you win this one, you really feel like you did something amazing behind that. I love the theme of it um, so much so that even though I own both the original game and the expansion of it, I made a point of asking for the new version of it, Armistice Day, for Christmas, which adds a set of missions and almost a legacy aspect of it, along with a group of miniatures that represent the guys on there. Are the miniatures necessary? Nope, but they look really cool. Yeah, and any more you can immerse yourself into the wonderful art is is incredible. Oh, the art on this game is so amazing. Right, I think the actual, the artist is actually was regrettably killed in the... Uh, the, the- uh, Charlie Hebdo. Yeah, Charlie Hebdo. I think this game does one of the best jobs of evoking a feeling of dread where, yeah, these issues are adding up and you feel like you can't really help your friend and all you want to do is give him a cup of coffee and you just feel completely helpless. And then sometimes you just things go okay, and it was tough and you all survived it together, but you won. And to go to your point, Mark, it is this is a very hard game to win. We usually play on the medium or hard difficulty, and sometimes you just you'll play it three or four times and there's no chance you even got close to winning. Yeah. I don't think of all the times we have played together in the same game. We have never won. Yeah. 
Maybe we're just bad. Maybe we <laughs> should. So. Maybe we should talk a little more. I just remember being repeatedly screwed over and over again, just going, oh, <laughs> what next? There's no way we're going to win this right. game. Right. But I think the thing that's great about this game is you just can't discuss your hands. I think that's probably the thing that we both like the most about this. Yeah, that's because super if you were to play with the information open, it'd be a solvable puzzle. It just would be who can solve it first. You know, OK, you right. do this, play you this, do this one. You do this, OK, you can play that one. You're not going to trip the lose condition if by doing it that way. And yeah, it would be a, a pointless right. exercise. I completely agree. But because it's really hard, you sometimes get away with it. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. The other nice part, um, the base game on this one, if you just get the small box base grizzled game, it's about $20 and it's a really awesome game. So if you don't own the grizzled, I can't recommend that one high enough. I agree. The next one we have is a game that's based on a video game. It's called XCOM and it's designed by Eric Lang. The kind of cool thing about XCOM is it was one of the first board games that I'm aware of that actually tied in with an app. Yeah. Let me back up a little bit. So XCOM's a game where you are, it's almost like a skirmish miniatures game, but on a computer game. And you are also building a base. And what you're doing is you're defending Earth from, the from aliens. From are aliens. Yes, exactly. But the way it actually plays is there's two different aspects. You're either building a base, which is taking, it's kind of like resource management in a computer game. And then you, the other one is you're actually like kind of playing a, going on missions and using your little guys to kill these aliens and get stuff. So what Eric Lang tried to do to replicate the computer game is gave everyone a different role. So there's one person who's kind of allocating money. There's one person who's in charge of the jets to make sure that the aliens aren't UFOs, aren't taking over the skies. There's one person who's allocating the different people on the missions, which are abstracted by a card. And there's another person who's doing all the research and trying to get better technology to see how they're actually going to be able to understand the technology and use it to their benefit. These are not just light little asymmetric powers like in pandemic no, where it's like you are oh, playing you heal two people different games. you are playing a different game it's completely different and that's i think the coolest part of this game so the app is really seamless i think it has a kind of stressful little tune to it and we usually play with an ipad well and there's timers on it yeah and so it'll tell you it'll prompt you to say okay two ufos come above africa bam and then you say done and every you get a certain amount of time that's allocated for everyone's turn and if you go fast you can make sure that you'll have more time at the end to actually discuss things and make sure it turned out well. But we're talking maybe you have two or three minutes to talk. And what Mark's doing at the table versus me is completely different. If I don't know the game too well, I have no idea what Mark's doing. I'm just begging him, hey, we really need to deal with XYZ problem. So it actually yeah, puts I some constraints. It's way less time than that. I mean, it's when, when the timer goes, you've got like 20 seconds or 30 yeah, seconds. It depends you on the difficulty. Have- no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. yeah. But I'm talking about the end timing you may have like a minute or two maybe at the end and that's maybe if you're playing on the easy difficulty and you went through really fast but because it's so real-timed and you have to get through things quickly or else you start taking damage and other things start happening you can't discuss what's happening you just kind of have to put out what you think is important and then try to convey that that's important to the group and then there's the guy with the money who's trying to allocate all the funds everywhere and it's just it's it creates a really hard interesting dynamic among amongst the table yeah and you absolutely do not have time to worry about what other people are doing you barely can get done what you are doing you can't yeah no it's 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 ridiculous i i love XCOM. john mckellen actually got me the expansion for christmas and i really need to bring it to the group so we could play it again I've only played this game about twice, and I, I loved it. I, I thought what it did, did super well is it ratcheted the stress level up and made it a very uncomfortable situation. Apparently, that's a theme for me. And I just like to be uncomfortable. 
I, I do. I think that that makes me feel like I did something important. If I'm super uncomfortable and I overcome that, I feel great about myself. Yeah. It pulls the stress up to 11 on that one. It doesn't let people quarterback on it. And there is really a shared triumph when you get past all of that. Right. And it's vastly different. I think there's a whole bunch of different missions. You can change a whole bunch of places where you're actually starting some special powers as the the group. So it's really replayable, too. I, I really like it. I think XCOM's a wonderful game. I'm going to jump ahead here and do something a little out of order on this one. While oh, we're talking mark. about app-driven things, let's jump forward and talk about uh, the other big app-driven game here, Mansions of Madness by Nikki Valens. Absolutely. And this is published by Fantasy Flight Games, too, the same publisher who did XCOM. It's also app-driven. I have not played this one as much as I've played XCOM. I don't own it. Um, the person in our group who owns it hasn't brought it in a while, so I'd love to play it again. But it's the same kind of thing, and it's the Fantasy Flight, HP Lovecraft, spooky tentacle guys attacking you thing. But this one does a really great job of – it's the second edition of Mansion Madness that we're referring. It really got rid of a lot of the back-end preparation stuff to play this game. And so what you're doing is you're a team of investigators who were sent to this mansion that are trying to uncover what the heck's going on in it. And you're going around to different rooms and searching, and everyone's character is a little good at certain things. But this game did a really good job of telling a story. And I don't think it could have done it as well without the app. And the person who actually owned it, Brian, he said that, yeah, we had the first edition before and I'd never bring it out because it just would take so long to prep all the little decks and everything. You really had to GM the game. But he was totally playing with us and it was great. My only experience with this one is I was at a table next to it being played and it sounded like a lot of fun. Right. No, absolutely. I, I need to play it again. I just maybe it's I think it's actually at Fantasy Flight on the shelf there. We should just pull it down sometime. Yeah. No, I think it is. There is actually a copy in the game library there. So that would be an easy one. Uh, the next up, boy, if you've been paying attention to gaming over the past year, this one has really made a splash into the gaming world. I think it would make a splash into anything you threw it at because it's approximately 25 pounds. I'm referring yeah. to the uh, Isaac Childress Magnum Opus Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is a giant fantasy world dungeon crawl adventure where you are a team of adventurers out making money or rogues trying to get money any way that you can and go on missions. And there are 90 some missions that come in the base box. There are 20 different characters that can grow up and retire eventually. And you're trying to thread your way through all these adventures with what would absolutely be several hundred hours of playtime. I own this one. Jake has had a chance to play it and once, <laughs> once like yep. to play it more. And as we talked about a couple episodes ago, this is something that is on our very high list of games that we want to sink our teeth more into. So why is it cooperative? Why do we love this thing? Again, it's cooperative in that everybody is in a party all trying to do the same thing, but everybody does have a secret agenda that they have to achieve in order to grow up and retire their character. Like they may want to get a certain number of kills or cast a certain number of spells or kill a certain type of monster a certain number of times. So they're inspired to do some non-traditional things once in a while. That's a big angle of it. There's a very interesting card driven mechanic on how you actually take your actions. So that makes it very difficult to have perfect information because it's hard to tell somebody what to do when they only have two cards in their hand at that time and they have to play those cards. So they have to just make the best of the options that are available right. to them at their point. So there is group discussion around what should be done, but it tends to be pretty lightweight around the, oh, yeah, yeah it'd probably be a good it's time very for vague. you to rest before we open the door. Right. You, right. Go, you go hit that guy, I'm going to go hit this guy. You know, not like, okay, well, on turn two, you prep this action. It can probably suffer from the same issues, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, as like 
D&D as Dungeons and Dragons, where some of the things will, I was playing a D&D group it was the same time that Kirka told the guy to not play his turn for him, where we were in the middle of the battle, everyone was spread out and we were discussing the innate intrinsic strategy of what's going on. And I think that it won't be that. No. No, and, and the way that the dungeons are set up is that you're all actually tend to be in a very close quarters with each other for the Got most it. part. So you can work together and try to figure out miniatures game style where everybody should be and what they should try to do. Right. The clock on this game is so cool that you burn through the resources of your cards. And when you're out of cards, you lose the mission and you have to be efficient about taking your moves. You can't just run around and take your time and do things and turtle it. You have to get after it. Otherwise, you're going to run out of cards before you able to complete your mission. So that really makes it a great game. And it's one that uh, we are very excited to play a lot more about. Everybody else agrees with us, apparently, because it is number one on Board Game Geek at the very moment. So Gloomhaven by Isaac Childress, published by Cephalofair Games. Yeah, I'm excited to play more. The next co-op game is actually one I've never played co-op, but I thought I'd highlight it because it does a good example of providing options to players. The game is Rune Age, designed by Corey Konetska over at FFG. It's a game with a whole bunch of scenarios. The gist of this game is it's a deck builder, but everyone's a different faction and they actually have a pool of cards that they can actually buy from to build their decks. But you can play it as a co-op. There's scenarios for that. There's co-ops for there's ones where it's just direct competitive. There's ones where it's like light co-ops where you maybe aren't competing with each other in a direct way. You're not attacking each other, but it's whoever gets the most resources at the end. And I think providing options for people to play your game in a myriad of different ways, whether it be co-op or competitive or whatever, offers a lot of power to the players to kind of enjoy it how they will. Yep. And much the same way that co2 is set up where same base game you can play it either competitively or in a co-op fashion absolutely but let's not dwell on it too long let's talk about another ffg game i think we only talked about ffg games for the most part well like, <laughs> i think you know i think publisher wise i think that i think asbo day <laughs> as yeah. a larger corporate entity probably has more co-ops under their frame than anybody else because they own z-man game which is pandemic just for yeah. starters but fantasy flight in general does have a lot of games that do have a co-op aspect of them right well the game i'm specifically wanting to talk about is arkham horror lcg which stands for living card game and this is designed by nate french and matthew newman what's weird about this game is like the other ones i've only played this one solo i know you can play it with other people but i for a while was using it as a storytelling game so Arkham Horror, it's the same thing as very similar to Mansions of Madness, where you're HP Lovecraft investigators trying to figure out what's going on. But what's cool about this wait, game... Wait, 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 wait. Fantasy Flight has a HP Lovecraft theme I game? know. Who would imagine? Did you know? <laughs> Did you know they make those games? <laughs> I'm shocked. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm shocked. But what's cool about this game is it's a card game. It's like a living card game. So that's where you buy, a, you know exactly what cards are coming in your expansion when you buy it. But it actually tells a story over different campaigns. So if you buy the baseball, and I think it came with four or five scenarios. But from there, that'll tie in with other scenarios down the line with it. It's been a while since I played the game. I played it the absolute heck out of it about last winter, and I haven't haven't came back to it. But it just told a story really well, and it was wicked hard. What I was doing is I was playing on the hardest difficulty, just solo, just by myself. And then once I'd lose, I'd restart, and I just had to get through every single scenario on the hardest difficulty, and it was incredibly fun. At that hmm, point, I probably ran right? out of the story. But yeah, if, if you ever want to borrow that one, too, it's it's a really good solo game. Sure. I have not ever seen this game in person, so... Be happy to give that a whirl sometime. Another one, too, that I would like to play with you sometime that you have not seen, and it is one of my favorite games out there right now. 
easily the darkest game I own. It is also perhaps the best for one player game in history. I acquired it because it was actually too dark for the guy that I bought it from. He's just like, oh, it's <laughs> way too depressing spooky. to actually play. Yeah, it's called This War of Mine by Michael Oras and Yaku Viznevsky. We'll go with that. The interesting point about this, this is a game about people that are refugees inside of a war zone. I think the tagline of the game is during war, not all players are combatants. The idea is that you're in a bombed out building and, you know, in your hometown and there's a war going on right now in your hometown. And you're just trying to survive. You're living in this bombed out building and you spend your day basically just trying to patch stuff together to make your home just a little bit more livable and to find enough food and water to survive another day. You go out at night and try to forage for things and you perhaps run into people and have encounters. It's really set up so that it really is a one player game. How it makes it into a multiplayer game is you essentially just take turns being the person in charge. So you'll take a phase of the day. <laughs> You'll do that phase and you'll captain the whole, you don't run a player, you run the whole team, you run the whole group of people. And then when you're done with that phase of the day, you pass the book to the next player who gets to run the next phase of the day. So you essentially take turns all running the same group of people. And it's printed out in there that it really is bad play to try to uber game it and, and quarterback it that uh, in war, sometimes things happen that don't go the way that you think they should. So the, whoever has the book in their hands is the one that has the final say and they get to do whatever good or bad thing they want. And by the way, that will end up killing some people in your group sometimes. Last time J-Mac and I played this, we were out looking for stuff in the middle of the night, just trying to survive. And we ran into a group of soldiers and these group of soldiers basically came up and said, hey, there's a, there's a sniper around here and we don't know where he is. So we'd like you to just start walking out into the square there so that we can see where the sniper is. Oh, geez. So he basically told us straight up, hey, you draw a fire there. And, you know, he points a gun at us and says, you start walking or we're going to shoot you. Oh, my God. And Seriously? Yeah. Wow. No yeah. wonder the guy that's said how, it was That's how dark. dark this game is. Oh, yeah. 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 So then your choice actually comes down to do you do what the guy says? If so, you know, go to page twelve hundred and fifty three or do you start running and make a break for it? And we we made a break for it and we actually got away. Wow. Managed to not suffer wounds, but we had to like drop all of the stuff we'd spent all night foraging for in order to get away. So it's like, well, we got away, but now we don't have any stuff. Oh, wow. So anyway, um, it's a really neat game. The story is so rich in this. There's a video game on the same theme that's out, I believe, on PlayStation. Again, it's a game that's really difficult. Uh, you're always managing the best of a bunch of really bad decisions, and it takes you on a journey. There's such a deep theme to it that really victory is just getting to the other side as le as least scarred as possible. That is This War of Mine Got it. by uh, Michael Oras and Yaku Viznevsky. Before we wrap up on this, though, this is probably one of the most interesting ones where they didn't even try to make it a game. They just said, yeah, it's a one player game. You can just play it with multiple people. And maybe that's an interesting way that it's going about it, just saying, hey, this is a one player experience, but share it with other people versus trying yeah. to have it be a game. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure it's a game or is it a uh, choose your own adventure? I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm I'm quite fascinated by it. So, Mark, I understand that you like to play Harry Potter. <laughs> OK, we're going to wrap this up with a couple other ones that we like for absolutely no good reason other than the fact they have good memories to them. And I'm going to put Harry Potter Hogwarts battle into that one. And the reason I have great memories is I have a 10 and a 12 year old that are both super duper duper into everything Harry Potter. They've watched the movies dozens of times. They've read all the books. 
everything Harry Potter. Um, they can tell you everything about it. So it was a no brainer of a game to get from my family. And by the way, my wife happens to really like cooperative games. So a cooperative game about Harry Potter was one that even if it was a lousy game was going to be a hit in our family. And all of those things were true. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's very themey. It is not a great game. Two of the big problems with it is that you can get in both unwinnable and or unlosable setups, depending on the order that the villains come out in at the beginning of the game, that depending on what villains are come out, you may as well just quit and start over again because you will not win. Got it. Uh, likewise, too, if you get a really easy setup at the beginning, there you will win and there's almost nothing you can do about it. One of the big problems with Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, besides the difficulty ramping, is that as you go through the different scenarios, you keep adding cards to the deck of stuff you have, and there's no culling at all. So it just, by the end of the game, you have this giant fat deck that you're so unlikely to actually see the card that you want to see, and you just keep adding in more monsters. So game one's pretty easy. You only have a couple of villains in there. By the time you hit game seven, you've got to wheedle through 16 of them or something like that. It takes forever. Got it. So Harry Potter Hogwarts battle. Themey, a lot of fun. We've had some great memories as a family completing it, but I'd stop short of recommending it as a great game unless you happen to love Harry Potter. And the final one I'm going to mention, too, is you mentioned that you did not care for legendary encounters. I'm going to bring up that I do actually like legendary, the vanilla superhero game. Again, just because I have nostalgia of playing this a lot of times with my son. Don't know it's the greatest game on the planet, but there's a zillion expansions for it, and I've just had a lot of fun playing it. You know, sometimes at the end of the day, you can analyze this stuff to death, Jake. Sometimes you just like it or you don't. Right. Well, that's why we don't do reviews, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I never claim that we're right. <laughs> I actually usually think I'm wrong, but I like to talk about stuff. Yeah, so I also thought it'd be interesting for, sure. for us to talk about co-ops because... We don't like these. These are not games we really seek out. So for the fact that we've either found a way to like these games or have actually gotten into these games, that usually kind of speaks to the testament of these games being pretty awesome because we don't usually yeah, like the sure. main thing. So if you like all co-op games, we're probably way behind you. I mean, we haven't even played Spirit Island. No, <laughs> we haven't. We are aware of the fact that this is a very popular game right now. And it's not one that speaks to me. I don't me know. Either. I'm just, I'm not that interested in trying. Yeah. It. Are we going to play a co-op uh, tomorrow there, Mark? So I do really want to play the Grizzled Armistice Day. So I am probably going to oh, bring that's that funny. one along. So that might be the opportunity. Yeah. I'm just bringing an 18xx game. I already have predetermined that a couple of us are going to sneak away and play 1846. So screw that. I do have a weird fantasy <laughs> of making a cooperative 18xx game. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think it needs to happen. All right. We'll teach their own. On that note, I guess. <laughs> Jeez. On that note, we've plainly, we've plainly jumped the shark and it's time to roll. All right. Well, on that note, Mark, I think we've run out of interesting things to say if we think that talking about a cooperative 18xx game is, is a good use of our time. Yeah, clearly. So with that, I think we have outstayed our welcome and we will say good night, everybody. And thanks for listening to The Gaming Moguls. Good night, everybody. This has been The Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Kloppenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.